If you will, please this morning turn to Romans chapter 7. I'll be there in a minute. But there's a couple of things I'd like to say before we get there. This seems to be uh, draw a special attention uh, to the fact that it is Father's Day because there's one thing I learned in God's Word probably 40 or 50 years ago. Fathers, listen. When Jesus was leaving the earth for the last time, as he was floating up toward the clouds, he could have turned back and said to all of us, Fathers, I'm leaving you responsible for everything. For every responsibility that it's recorded in his word that anybody has, the end result of that responsibility is always a man. And the fact that God uses the fathers to even replicate the, the role that he has with us as our heavenly father. I was really struck years and years ago when I was a young man by a fellow that I was teaching who said that I didn't have a father on this earth and it made it hard for me to establish a relationship with my heavenly father. I didn't have any way to connect. So see, earthly fathers, you are important. But your greatest importance is to be like your heavenly father. Now we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit again today. Seems like I always keep going there. But the problem I have is that so many people today don't know that God guides their activities every single day. He can. Sometimes we hear his voice, sometimes we don't. But it's always through the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus every, ever did, every miracle he accomplished was through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is the greatest power that exists on planet Earth. And we have been given a part of God that he calls the Holy Spirit when we were saved. The moment we believed, he embedded that part of him in us. And we have the power to do anything God wants us to do. But there's one thing I thought about about daylight this morning, and to me it made it a lot easier. Maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't. When talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God is a triune God, the theologians say. He's three parts. Some people have a little trouble with that. But let me explain this. God is a spirit. He has no body or no shape for anybody to see. So you can never see God. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I came here to show you who he is. The Holy Spirit is also a spirit. The word calls him like a breath. 
are like the wind. You can see what the wind does because it blows limbs out of the trees. It blows trees down, and if it gets fast enough in a tornado, it'll clean everything on the ground up. But you can't see the wind. But something for you to think about. When God gave Jesus a human body, Jesus has still got that human body. Of the three, Jesus you can see. You could shake hands with Jesus if you came in front of him. He's still sitting on that throne up there at the right hand of God, interceding for us through the Holy Spirit. And he's still got his body, just like he had when he was here. Now, part of this sermon is a study on physics, or that's where I learned it in physics class. The thing that's different about heaven and earth, there are laws on earth that, that, that govern, that are principles that govern actions. And it talks about that in Scripture this morning. But one of those laws is the law of masks, M-A-S-S, where two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. That should be proven to us over and over again every time we see a wreck. Because a lot of times two cars try to occupy the same place. It won't work. And sometimes they try to occupy the same place as a wall or a tree trunk. That doesn't work either. It's a law here on earth that says that won't happen. Now, God can, as a spirit, can be anywhere or everywhere at the same time. The Holy Spirit can be anywhere or everywhere at the same time. Jesus can only be one place at one time. Now, he can go through walls and all like that. He defies a lot of the laws of the earth, but still he can only be one place at one time. I think that's the reason in introducing the fact that he was fixing to leave and the Holy Spirit would come and that we would be able to do more than he could. I think it reflected the fact that the Holy Spirit can be in every believer on the face of the earth at one time and be working all that time to bring about the glory of God. Jesus can't be but in one place at a time. The only people that could hear Jesus was those people that was in front of him within earshot. And in order for other people to hear him, those people had to go tell it again. So... As a man on this earth, a creation, I'm first a man, and God has his functions for a man. He says them in his word. Secondly, I'm a father. I'm a husband, and I've got responsibilities for being a husband. God told, tells about them. Then the third thing is, I'm a father. There are things that God instructs us about being a father. So you see, it's not too hard to realize that one person could have three functions 
at least, and God's got more than that. But you, as a man or a woman, have multiple functions too. You just can't defy the laws of the earth. That's all. They can't. When Jesus wouldn't let Mary touch him at the tomb, he says, I haven't gone to my father. In other words, I don't have my heavenly body yet. He had to go to heaven to be able to operate in heaven for his body to be able to operate in heaven and in earth at the same time. We can't do that. We will be changed when we're at the rapture and our bodies will be able to live in heaven then up above the atmosphere. But we have a problem with that now. Each one of each part of God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each have their purpose. And they are about to accomplish their purpose. That's what they do. Now, that being said, I made the statement last week that Satan cannot occupy the mind of a believer. And it brought about a, a response from you guys. Several people came up to me and had something to say about it and asking questions about it. So today I'd like to talk about that. And you say, well, then how does he get us to do things? Well, advertisers can't get in your mind either. And they cause all kind of people to do all kind of things like spending money they don't have for something they don't need, and a lot of times stuff that they wind up not even liking. So there is a power out there that they don't have to be in your mind to make you do something. So the question was, one question was asked me last week, where does evil thoughts come from in the mind of a believer, in the mind of a Christian? that has evil thoughts. Where do they come from? You know, Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do that. The devil can't make you do anything, folks. You've got to understand that. Now, he's a tremendous influencer, but he has to work out here on the life of a Christian. He can't get in your mind. Because several people have said, when you ask God for guidance, which is something I preach, how do you know it's not Satan talking to you? Satan can't talk to you. I went through that in the 70s. And I finally came to the place, I said, Lord, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And if it's not your voice, well, then you take care of it because I'm not powerful enough to do it because I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And I've done that ever since. There's one thing we can rely on that there is not one demon-possessed believer mentioned in the Bible. Nobody in there is demon-possessed. Even when Peter was talking with Jesus the day before Jesus was put on the cross the next morning, and Jesus said, Satan, get thee behind me. The only one he was talking to was Peter. Peter said something that came from Satan. And Jesus said, Satan, get thee behind me. Nobody was there but Peter. 
But Peter wasn't a Christian at that point. <laughs> Later on in the day, Jesus said, Peter, when thou art converted, feed my, my flock. Peter wasn't a Christian when Satan put words in his mouth. So please understand that. Then there's something else I want to read to you that comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, let me say this first. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 to 4, Jesus says through Paul in his letter that before we were born again and became possessions of God through Jesus Christ, we belonged to Satan. And Satan was in control of us and we lived just like he wanted us to live. A lot of people don't understand that. That when you follow the world, you follow Satan. There's only two powers out there. The power of God and the power of Satan. And we're in a battle always. But like I said last week, it goes on inside of us. It's not out there. The battle is here. And we'll further see that this morning. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 23, let me read that. Don't I need to turn there? You stay in Romans if that's where you are. But he talks about a godly man and he's given Timothy, Paul has given Timothy, the young preacher, some godly instruction. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. Don't deal with arguments, he said as a young preacher. And the servant of the Lord must not strive or quarrel with people, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. In meekness instruction, those that oppose themselves, if God, perhaps, or peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. In other words, when people argue with what you preach, Timothy, he said, don't argue with them. Don't deal with argument. Be meek and gentle and pray that they will change their mind and learn to believe the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. We know that unsaved can be taken captive by Satan. And that is the point I made. So we know that part of it. Now, but we come back to the issue of where does evil come from inside of me as a Christian? And we go for that to Romans chapter 7. It says in Romans chapter 7, and verse 15. Paul says, and this is probably the most confusing scripture in the word. A lot of scripture we read, we don't understand what they're talking about, but this right here is so scrambled up, it's talking about ordinary things, and we still can't figure it out sometimes. But he says in verse 15, For that which I do, Paul said, Now look, Paul was a born-again believer at this point. When he wrote Romans, 
He's a Christian. So we're talking about things that's coming out of a Christian's heart. For that which I do, I allow not. In other words, I find myself doing things I don't want to do. For what I would, that do I not. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that do I. I find myself doing things that I don't want to do and I hate because I'm doing them. Why am I doing that stuff, he said? Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. He says, they teach us in the New Testament to do away with the Ten Commandments. No, 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 no. He said, the Ten Commandments tell me what is sin and what not is sin. So I know when I'm doing something wrong, I know it's wrong because the Bible says it is in the law. Now then, he's coming to a conclusion now about what's going on inside of him. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to do to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He's saying here that when Jesus saved me, he put a want to in me to do the right thing. But I find that I still don't do it. I want to do right. If you ask me, I'll answer you honestly and say, yes, I want to do the right thing. But I don't always do it. Because how to perform that which is good, I find not. I can't figure out how to do what God wants me to do. Even though I've got Jesus in my heart, I still can't figure it out. For the good that I would, I don't do. But the evil which I would not, that I do. I find myself doing evil stuff, and I don't want to do it. So why is that? Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I than do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Woo, 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 woo. Yep, yep. Even though we're born again, even though we've been born again, in, in your case or my case, my case, 70-something years. There's still evil in me. It's there. It's in my flesh. God put the spirit in me of salvation that wants to do the right thing. But in my flesh, in my body, I still do things I ought not to do. Feller walks up and pops off at me, makes me mad, there is a thought comes in my mind that I want to break his nose. It's there. I'm telling you it's there. But I don't let myself do it. But it took me a long time to learn not to do that. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present within me. There's two things in me. One that wants to do good and the other finds himself doing things that are not good. And he says it's a law. You know what a law is? A law is a principle that determines what actions we do. You see this book, there's a law here on this earth, another one like that mass law, it's called the law of gravity. 
I can turn that book loose. Didn't mean to scare you, Joel. I can turn that book loose, and you know what? Every single time it's fixing to go or something stops it. I could turn this book loose off the top of a 50-story building, and it'll go till something stops it. That's a law. That's what he's talking about, a law. A principle that defines what actions we take. And he says there's a law in him. And there's two laws. There's a law of God and the Spirit, and there's a law of sin and evil, satanic law, that happened just like when you dropped that book. So when I drop my book, it goes till something stops it. But when I don't drop it, it doesn't make a racket. <laughs> it's my choice. I can hold on to it or I can turn it loose. And that's what's happening with inside of us. We've got this fight going on where the good part of us that Jesus put in there is having turmoil with the bad part that was there to start with, my body. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I know and I'm happy that Jesus put that desire in me not to do bad stuff. But I still find myself doing it. But I'm tickled to death that Jesus did what he did, is what he's saying. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity. So I'm going to sin. It's the thing, it's just as sure as I'm here, as long as I breathe and my heart beats, I'm going to sin. It's part of me. It came with me. To the law of sin, which is in my members, it brings me into captivity. There's times I'm going to mess up. There's no point in trying to cover it up. No point in trying to make you believe that it's not going to happen with me because I'm a preacher or anything else. Because it happens to everybody. Because you can't get around on this earth without this body of flesh. And that war of sin is in, a law of sin is in the body of flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul said, hi, in the world, my own, get out of this mess. O wretched man that I am, verse 24, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I might myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. That's just the way it is. If I, if I tell you I don't sin, I'm lying. If you hear me say I'm not sinning, believe it's a lie right off the bat because I'm telling you now it'll be because I got to do that. It don't matter who I am or how good I am or how long I've been studying Scripture or how long Jesus has been working me trying to straighten me out and make me more like Jesus. There are times when I'm still going to sin. But now we saw last week in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, that we can overcome Satan. Yes, we can. You can actually learn like Jesus did in the wilderness with the temptation to say no to Satan. So the part of us that Satan causes to be bad, we can learn to overdo that. 
recognize what Satan is trying to tempt us to do and just say no. Resist him, James said, and he'll flee because he's a coward to start with. He tries to work on people that are going to give in and make him look like a success. But the law of sin that's in us, it's there. It was there from the start. Hopefully, as long as we've been a Christian, God has got some of that out of us through the Holy, working of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So where does our sinful thoughts come from? They come from us. <laughs> they come from us. Some folks don't want to admit that, but that's who we are. Now, if you will, please, turn over to 2 Thessalonians. Over to the right of ways. Colossians and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. We see now where the evil is coming from. So what's going to stop it to happen? Not only we got Satan trying to entice us to do evil stuff, but we got that law of the flesh that's in ourselves that's working against us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, well, let's just start at verse 1 because it kind of explains up, and I'm going to have to explain it anyhow. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. He said, I want to explain something to you. Jesus is coming back. You know that. And we're getting together because he's coming back. That's the reason we're here this morning is because we believe that Jesus is coming back. That ye not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by the word nor by letter as from us as that day of Christ is at hand. Now what's going on here? There were a bunch of people telling Christians that Jesus has already come back. And Paul, in his letter, second letter to the Thessalonians, is refuting that. He said, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So don't let them convince you that he has. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. What Paul is trying to show them is this. Jesus is not going to come back until the falling away. The people fall away from God. And the beast that we've been talking about, the mark of the beast, the one that's going to rule the earth until he's identified as who he is. At the last days, the beast will be identified. We'll know who he is. And so Jesus is not going to come until that happens. So you see that first, and then you know that Jesus is right behind it. Now here's something about the beast in verse 4. Who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God. He's going to exemplify what Satan has been saying all the time. You know why Satan got kicked out of heaven? 
because he wanted to be God. And God wouldn't put up with it. Or that is worship. Everything that is called God or that is worship, he's trying to exalt himself so he'll be that. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to be sitting in David's throne over in the temple in Jerusalem. All that stuff over there now, you can't go here, you can't go there. That, he's going to be sitting right there in, 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 in God's temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, sitting in the throne that David sat in. And that's where you're going to be able to identify the beast or the Antichrist or this nickname for him, the son of perdition. Only two people in the Bible have been called the son of perdition. One of them was Judas that turned Jesus in, and the other is the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is who we're talking about here. It's the beast that will rule the world, and the three sixes that will be the mark on us will be of the Antichrist, the beast. Verse 5, Remember not that when I was with you, I told you these things, Paul says. I've already told you about this. And now you know what withholdeth. Well, what do, you, what do you mean? Well, now they're Christians. And what happens to a Christian that doesn't happen to a non-Christian? He's got the Holy Spirit in him. You know, before we read a couple of weeks ago that the world can't know the Holy Spirit because it can't see him and it can't feel him because he's not in people until they're saved. Only the Christians can know and testify to the existence of the Holy Spirit inside of them. And now you know that what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Why has Jesus not come back? Because the beast hadn't been identified. Why has the beast not been identified? Because the Holy Spirit's holding him back. Did you know the Holy Spirit did that? He works in you to guide you, to teach you what Jesus said and all this stuff, but he's got a greater job than that too. He works in the whole world to make sure that evil things don't happen. And he right now is what's keeping the beast from showing himself and being the leader of the world. Don't you think if the beast is here now, I don't know whether he is or not, but if he is, he hadn't told us yet. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The mystery of iniquity is the mystery of sin. The thing about sin that God never told us is working right now. It's been working ever since Satan walked up to Eve and caused her to sin. That brought sin on the earth, and it's been working. The evil stuff has been going on. Only he who now letteth will let until he has been taken out of the way. So what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is going to keep the beast from showing himself until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. Now how do you take the Holy Spirit out of the way? There's only one way you can do it. Because the Holy Spirit is in every one of us believers. 
How do you get him out of the program? You get all the believers off the earth. What's going to take all the believers off the earth? The rapture. When Jesus comes in the clouds and says, Come up, we're all going to go to be with Jesus. And when we leave, we'll take the Holy Spirit with us because he's in, that's the only place he exists in all of us. And it says he will keep that beast from showing himself until he's taken away. Now it doesn't say he's taken away. It says he's taken out of the way. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit will live in you as a Christian for eternity. So the Holy Spirit's going to still be with our soul. And it's going to do the job that it does. It's just not going to have to keep sin off of the earth anymore. Because keeping sin off the earth is a job for the church. He did that for the church, for us, for born-again people. And so if the born-agains are all away from here, well, there's no reason for him to work to keep sin away anymore. There's no telling what this place would be like. You could turn on your TV and see a whole lot worse than you're seeing today if the Holy Spirit wasn't here working. In verse 8, understand something, please. The biggest enemy that Satan has on the face of the earth is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that has done everything that God says he does. When God says, I do a miracle, he gives the job to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does it. That part of God that is the Holy Spirit is the one that does the miracle and everything else that's done, action. And when Jesus came and did the, the miracle, it was the Holy Spirit actually doing it. He was the one doing all the work. So verse 8 says, And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, with the spirit, and shall destroy that the brightness of his coming. The next thing that happens is the rapture. Jesus appears in the clouds. He doesn't come down here. He appears in the clouds and says, Come up, and we all go float up there to be with him. The next thing, next time he comes to the earth, He's going to come with us as his army. We're all going to be on white horses over in the valley of Megiddo next to Jerusalem. The battle of Armageddon will be fought, but we won't fight it. I guess we'll sit there on our white horses and watch because it says Jesus is going to destroy all of sin, all his enemies by the power of his mouth. He's just going to say a word and they're all going to be dead. Now they're going to have to bleed because it says the blood's going to be as deep in that valley as the bits on the horse's mouths. That's got to be three and a half, four feet on a short horse. So how that happens, I don't actually know. But he's also, Jesus is calling all the birds, the vultures and the buzzards in the, in the whole world to come over there and eat because there's going to be so much dead flesh over there. It's going to be a show, and we're going to be sitting there on the white horse to watch it. Even him 
whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and sign and lying wonders and with all deception or deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. What he's saying is that God has brought strong delusion, deceptiveness to all the people who are on their way to hell. And what is that deception? That they did not recognize what evil was. Do you know what evil is today? If you're a born-again believer and you got the Holy Spirit in you, you do. Because he's telling you every time you make a move, that wasn't nice. Do this. Don't do this. But you see, God brought a deception to them and they never saw that they were doing evil. When those politicians you recognize on your TV are looking straight at the TV and lying to you like a dog, they don't know that's what they're doing because God has blinded them. And you say, well, how in the world could somebody talk like that and tell so many lies and not even have to duck their head because they don't have a conscience? God has fixed it where they don't recognize what they're doing is that bad. That's the reason they can do anything. You would say, well, it seemed like a man to me that man's age, he's in his 60s. He ought to know he's telling a lie. Well, he doesn't know he's telling a lie. He don't care. And that's where we're going. And it's going to get worse. Because they don't know. They think they're doing a great thing because they're blinded by power. All they want to do is control you and me and everything else. And they're doing every single thing they can do to try to make that happen. So, as a conclusion of what we said today, if you've got a question in your mind, I'm a Christian, I want to do the right thing, why are these evil thoughts coming in my mind? They're coming from you. Now, some of them might come from Satan if you're still sucker enough to listen to him and do what he attempts to try to tempt you to do. Because he's going to make the picture look good, but he can't get in your mind. And he can't talk to you in your mind if you're a believer. What did these guys say with the AK-47 that shoot 3,700 people or something in a school? Well, the voices told me to do it. They're not lying. Satan told them in their mind to do these evil things. God gave them a deception so they don't know. And so what do they do? They walk into a school and shoot innocent people. That's the way it works. But you see, as a Christian, God hasn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't zap you when you become a Christian and teach you everything. It's a process called sanctification. And you get cleaned up a little bit more and you learn a little bit more all along until you get to a place to where, <laughs> no, 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 Satan tempted me to do that, but I told him, no way, man, I'm not going to do it. You learn to recognize his voice and the kind of things he wants you to do. And you know they're bad because you have discernment between good and evil. 
And so you see, with all of the God is doing all of that stuff all the time to protect you and me as Christians. Now here's the thing. Remember that Jesus was given all authority in heaven and in earth because of one thing. He was 100% obedient to, to God. How obedient am I? How obedient are you? That's what it's all about. Do we ask God, what should I do next? Which way should I turn? What did he say? In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, Therefore, hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. This is the way you ought to walk. Whether you turn to the left, he said, or whether you turn to the right. The most obvious scripture in the whole Bible that God is telling you, willing to tell you every move to do the right thing if you'll just listen. I've come to the place to where I know I don't have sense enough to gee or haul either. I got to do it the way God says it or I won't do it right. And he says in Jeremiah that it is not in the heart of man that walketh to direct his own path. I don't have sense enough to walk where God wants me to work, walk. I have to ask him about everything. But if I do that, he won't lead me astray. And if I do that, the instruction I get in my mind is not coming from Satan. We saw that. It's either coming from me or it's coming from God. And if you rule out you, your instructions are got to come from God. That's what makes me believe that Satan cannot get in the mind of a believer because the Holy Spirit is already in there. And God says in another place, what fellowship hath good with evil. The fact is, they don't. They can't get along. It's like putting four or five cats in a room with a bad dog. The cat's going to wind up dead. And that's the thing. The Holy Spirit is in me, and it will not tolerate the presence of sin. And Satan, especially, being the strongest sinner that there is, I pray that we can take that information and use it every day of our life to live more like God wants us to live. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this information. Thank you for teaching us, for making us understand the plan that you have for each one of us to stay out of trouble. You want your kids to be the nicest kids on the whole street. And so you tell them, stay out of trouble. And Lord, I thank you for that instruction. Just give me and give us the discernment that we might be able to tell the good stuff from the bad. In Christ's name I pray, amen.